Good morning. Thank you for uh, for all the hard work that you put into this last week, for your prayers, uh, for the leaders, and for the children. We had uh, a number of kids, including a few new ones, that found out through the the parade that we that we were a part of. So um, we're planning to follow up with that family, and there we had several parents here on Friday night, and. Uh, had an opportunity to share the gospel with them and also just to interact with them afterwards while we had some refreshments. So I was encouraged at how the Lord used you and um, and how the, the Lord worked in the hearts of some of these kids. And, uh, you know, the results may not come for weeks and possibly years, uh, but but we trust God that, that He will, His Word will not return to Him without accomplishing what it set out to do. So we we just want to spread the seed and then let God determine what kind of soil it lands on. Well, this morning we're going to talk about uh, church leadership. And just by way of introduction, I want to say that this is not a result of some specific issue that I'm trying to address in a passive-aggressive type way. This uh, material that we're going to cover has been a part of the... Um, material of this class since 2009 and um so so just so that you're aware I'm not uh you know trying to to go after something um specifically but I think it's something that would be helpful for us we're trying to look at how we can maintain and promote unity within the church and you'll recall a few weeks ago we talked about the church uh governance and we looked at the biblical offices of pastors and deacons. And in that class, the emphasis was on how God gives instructions and how God organizes um, the church around His desires and His desire to advance His name and to promote His glory. Today, we're going to address more of the personal side of church leadership and specifically what church members can do to promote unity in the church through our faithful submission and encouragement of leadership, while at the same time protecting the doctrine of the church, keeping us from going into doctrine or moving towards doctrinal error. So let me begin by just getting some of your thoughts on the following question. How can we as church members relate to our leaders in a way that promote unity and bring glory to God? How, how can church members relate to their leaders, and bring glory to God. Any ideas? Okay. So, specifically with how to handle conflict or disagreement with leaders, go directly to the leader. Good. We're run- That's going to be the second half of the class. We're going to talk about how to handle disagreement. What else? Okay, talk talk more about that. What do you have in mind? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, relationship. Yep. Yeah, so develop relationship. Anything else? How can we, um, as church members, relate to church leaders in a way that will promote unity and bring glory to God. What's that? 
submit to their leadership. All right, encouragement. All right, and we're going to cover several of these that you addressed. So let's just look at the first one here, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This will be kind of the springboard from which we derive many of these principles that we're going to look at this morning, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Before we look at this, let me have a word of prayer and just ask God for His help as we uh, look at this together. Father, we are uh, thankful that that You have given us Your Word and have clearly shown us what we need to do. And we realize that You are in control of all things and and that You care for us. And we're thankful for how we saw Your Your hand of mercy upon our church and upon those to whom we ministered this week in Vacation Bible School. We pray that You would continue to produce fruit through that and that that you would use us to be ministers of your grace to these people who need to hear and respond to your word. This morning we ask for grace as we think through this uh, sometimes difficult topic of leadership, and we just pray for wisdom and and um, insight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give it an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay, these are some strong words. As I started out on Friday night when we were at our final meeting for Vacation Bible School, uh, I said, you know, it's hard for us to, to submit to authority. We we generally balk at the idea of authority. We don't like to have parents telling us what to do. We don't like having bosses tell us what to do, even though even though both of those situations they have the, I mean, they have been put in that place for that very purpose to help guide us and to to lead us. And so when we come across a text like this that says two strong words, obey and submit, we don't like to, to, to hear those. We cringe a little bit because of our egalitarian, individualistic culture. You know, um, that's kind of your opinion. I, I, I see it differently, so I'm going to do it my way type idea. Um, but but these words are intended, I think, by this pastor here to writing to the Hebrews in order to maintain order, but also in order for the benefit of, uh, to, to provide benefit both for the leaders and for the congregation. Notice the benefits that accrue to both sides. Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Okay, so there is a specific benefit that you receive when you obey and submit to your leaders because they are watching over your souls. The converse of that. I think is also true. If you disobey and you fail to submit, then then um, it's harder for them to watch over your souls. They're they're actually trying to guide you into a place of righteousness and and of of uh, glorifying God. And then the end of the verse: Let them do this with joy, and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So it actually provides for you profit. And for me, when you obey and submit, it actually helps me to do my job with joy and not with grief. It would be unprofitable for you um, to make my job uh, grievous. So, um, 
ultimately, we have to recognize that, that, that our trust is not in our leaders, right? Our trust is the one who's, who put those leaders into place. It's in Christ. Because, frankly, uh, the relationship between a leader and a congregation or a leader and anyone who's following him, whether it be a parent or, or a boss or whatever, but those relationships are difficult because there's always sinners involved, right? I'm a sinner. I I make mistakes. I do things that are self-serving at times. And you do the same thing, right? And so, because of that, it makes the relationship dif- difficult. But I have a responsibility in the relationship to watch out over your souls because I'm going to give an account for your soul. So, uh, you specifically are are not going to give an account necessarily for my for my soul. Okay, when you stand before Christ, you're going to give an account for yourself and probably for, you know, people who you had responsibility for, your family and so on. But you're not going to give an account for me necessarily. I'm going to give an account for you. So God's going to judge me. He's going to to reward and and I guess we could call it wood, hay, and stubble, but attribute those other things to wood, hay, and stubble and let those all burn up based on how how well or how bad I did with your souls. And so I have a responsibility to do that. And so the text says, let me do it with joy and not with grief. Now, now if you've been a part of any organization, you know that there seem to always be these yes men, right? These people who just kind of, they just, affirm everything that the boss says you know they're just they they don't really think for themselves they just want to agree with the boss so that they can be in a good standing with them i don't think that's what the text is calling for um so it's not calling for just an unhealthy um blind following that that never thinks for itself but rather it is trusting in the leadership um, in a way that that's not attach attaching all of our all of our um, uh, our wisdom or all of uh, basically putting all of our eggs into the basket of the leader, right? Because Paul even said Galatians one verses nine and ten: If anyone comes to you and preaches to you another gospel other than the one that I preached to you, then let him be accursed. Even if I do it or an angel from heaven, right? So. If that happens, that means we have to be on guard and we have to be listening carefully. That's why the Bereans were wise to check what Paul was saying against the Word of God. So that's not what this is calling for, just a, a blind, and, and you, perhaps you've seen churches or you know about churches like this, who just kind of like, whatever the pastor says I'm going to do. That's not what the text is calling for. But I think our tendency in general, when I say our, I'm talking about myself, and the the positions where I have to submit, I know my tendency is one not to submit. It is I want to do it my way. It's not usually the other extreme, which is others do it no matter what they say, um, and and if they burn me, they burn me. Um, that that's going to happen, by the way. You know, if if you put your trust into God, if you put your trust in God and follow a specific leader there are going to be times when leaders fail you. Um, but as long as your trust isn't in that leader, ultimately, then that's okay. Because another can, leader can come along 
and take its place. I've seen people, um, someone uh, very close to me has been a part of several churches and has been burned by a number of church leaders and tells me often that all pastors are, you know, whatever. They're, they're very much self-serving. All they care about is themselves and so on. And my response is, you know, that, that's not really a fair assessment. Even though you may have had three pastors uh, who have burned you because you have put your trust in them, that doesn't mean that all of them are that way, right? I, I use the illustration like, you know, depends on what field they're in, whatever someone tries to use that argument. Well, what field of, of uh, work are you in? So if someone's a salesman or someone works at a, you know, maybe they, they uh, are a, uh, work at the grocery store or something. So, so do you know of people that are corrupt in your field of service? Do you know of other salesmen that are corrupt? Oh, yeah, I know. I know other salesmen that are corrupt. Okay, well, does that mean that every single salesman is a corrupt salesman? And, of course, since it's their field of service, they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not that way. They, they give us a bad name. You know, I actually try to do what's right and honorable when I go to sell a car or something. And, and so my response is, well, isn't that the same? I mean, shouldn't we think the same way when it comes to pastors? That, that, yes, there are many pastors out there, sadly. They're very much about themselves and their own pocketbook. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's always the case. And if our trust is primarily in the person and not in God and His structure that He set up, then we're going to be disappointed often. But if our trust is in God and that person fails us, well, we can understand that because they're a sinner. And, you know, if they fail to such a bad state that they have to be removed from that office, then another one will come along and we can still follow God. See, see, the danger is we've been burned so many times, that leader failed us, that leader failed us, and so on. Then what happens is we start to resist submission. And what the text is saying here is that actually is not profitable for you. It's not profitable no matter how many times that's happened. God has set up a structure to protect your souls. Paul says it this way um, to Timothy, I think, or Titus. He says, watch out for yourself and your doctrine. And by doing so, you're going to save yourself and those who hear you. So, I I hope you understand that he's not talking about me being able to grant you salvation. But, in a sense... I'm helping protect your soul, protect to protect your soul from the flames. I mean, Jude talks about that that we can pull some people back from the flames as if they're on the brink of turning away from God. And that's one of my responsibilities. So so we want to cover two things and we'll have to uh breeze through a couple of these because I made the introduction a little bit longer than it should have been, but um first, how can we positively encourage the leadership of our church and second how do we respond when we disagree? Okay, so how can we positively encourage the leadership of the church? One of the best ways to promote unity in the church is to help ensure uh, your leaders to see that their work is a God-given delight, that it's a joy. And obviously, 
Um, this is what the text is talking about. You know, let them do this with joy and not with grief because it would be unprofitable for you. All right? So, God is concerned about your soul and He wants to protect your soul through through the, the office that I've been placed in, actually that you have had a part in, in, in placing me. Um, and so we're going to look at six ways in which we can make the um, we can promote unity through encouragement of leadership, and these are derived from Wayne Mack and David Swavely's book called Life in the Father's House: A Member's Guide to the Local Church. All right, number one. Number one. Why don't we turn to Third John, chapter one? Anyone have any idea what this verse reads? I got a I got a poster that I'm trying to remember where I received it now, but I have it down in my office with this verse on it. All right, will someone read that for us? Third John one four. All right, so what's John talking about? Is he talking about his blood family, his his own biological children? No, what is he talking about? Okay, he's talking about these believers that he's had a part in helping to train and encourage and help help to to teach them about the ways of God. And he's saying, I have no greater joy than to see when Christians who I've had a part in training than that they walk in the truth. And so there is great joy that you can give to me and any leaders that come along when you simply just believe in Christ and walk in obedience. And I can tell you that in the four years that I've been here, the greatest times of joy for me has have been to see you growing in your love and your knowledge of the Scriptures and your love and knowledge of God. And I can also tell you that some of the greatest times of distress and despair for me have been when people have turned away from God, when they have started to abandon the faith and some have completely abandoned the faith. Okay, so I have no greater joy than when my children are walking in the truth. Number two, cultivate and preserve, uh, preserve unity in the body. Turn over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Would someone read verses 1 and 2? remind the deacons, and I've mentioned this to you before as well, is that they are to be shock absorbers in the in the church. They are to be people who um, who are providing a calming or a clarifying effect when conflict starts to arise. Isn't that why they were first put in place in Acts chapter 6? Because there was a conflict that was starting to rise and it was causing rip, a, a ripple effect within the church causing a ripple effect of disunity. And so the 
the leaders came, uh, the apostles at that time came around and said, you know what, we need to set apart for us people who are who are able to handle these issues, who are able to be shock absorbers. And then the church chose these seven men to do this. And so uh, that's a responsibility that that I think that the deacons ought to hold very um, uh, seriously. But that's not something that that is just for deacons, is it? Uh, Paul says here that that um, make my joy complete, verse two, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on this one purpose. And uh, and when you do that, when you are minimizing conflict and and absorbing the shock that comes from various conflicts that arise when you act as mufflers to the to the various noises of disunity that's actually an encouragement to to me and other leaders that will come along well how can this be done how can unity be promoted by being shock absorbers well that's what this whole course has been about so here's a few things that probably sound familiar to you because we've already talked about them number 1 treat others in love First uh, Peter four eight above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know our sin tends tend uh, to cause conflict within the church, and one thing that helps cover over those things is just showing love to that person, being forgiving when those types of things come up. Now, obviously, there are some things that shouldn't be ignored. They're, they're, they need to be handled properly, but but other things, some of these other minor sins, we make major. And then they become real problems in the whole church. When they, sh- if they were just shown love, that person was shown love, and that sin that probably could have been just dealt with on a personal basis, and it wouldn't have ballooned and made such a big deal, a big ripple effect in, in the whole church. And so, love covers a multitude of sins. Second, along these same lines, we should remember in the midst of disagreements that while our opinions are temporary, the people with whom we disagree are eternal. So we may have various disagreements between this person on this side of the church and this person over here, but but those opinions are only temporary. And uh, we'll talk about how to handle some of these conflicts because sometimes we make things that are neither serious nor clear. We make those uh, at the center of what we're trying to, to do. I, I'm not sure if you've ever um, come across someone like this either in in church or in in your family or something, that they tend to major on all these things that don't really matter in life. And they, every time you see them, this is like this is their uh, their stump speech. They got to make sure that you understand about this little area that's very uh, unimportant and really unclear as far as whether it's necessary or not. I I often get letters that are usually um, written to the pastor of the church. And they're typed out, and so they've probably sent them out to hundreds of pastors. But they're on one small, insignificant issue in the Scripture. Not that uh, we should minimize any part of Scripture, but one that may be less clear than others. And they make that the whole topic. And if I can't have a church that's like this, then I can't fellowship with anybody. And they find themselves not really landing anywhere. Third, encourage others to trust your leaders reminding them that you know leaders are not perfect but 
we should have a tendency towards trust rather than towards cynicism. Uh, so when when a decision comes down and, you know, some, some other people are starting to say, well, I didn't really like that decision that was made. I don't really like... Well, if you have the answer to it, if you can explain what happened, that that's the best thing to do. You can take care of that situation right away, be a shock absorber, handle that situation. If you don't know the answer, why that decision was made, then just try to encourage them. You know what? God's put them over us for a reason. They have our best interests in mind. And, um, and, and you know, probably the best thing for you to do would just be to talk to, to the leader and find out specifically, you know, if, that, if that's going to cause you a problem. All right, number three. So, number one, believe in Christ and, and live in obedience. Cultivate perseverance. Uh, and preserve unity in the body. Number number three, pray for church leaders. Pray for church leaders. Paul writes in First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians. He says, "We have set our hope on Christ that He will continue to deliver us and help us by your prayers. Um, that Christ will help us. That is us as leaders by your prayers. So we ought to pray regularly for." church leaders. You ought to pray regularly for me because my responsibility is to watch out over your soul and over the souls of those whom you love. And and I'm doing this act with a sinful um, disposition, right? I mean, I have sin that resides within me and I am a weak person. I I am not, you know, Jesus Christ. And so I need even more prayer than than if someone like Christ were your leader. And uh, certainly we wouldn't we we wouldn't avoid praying for him uh, because he is he would be watching over our souls in that situation as well. But but even more so is the point uh, for me. Number four, express your love for them. It's good to encourage leaders and to remind them of your love for them. Um, why don't we turn to Second Corinthians? I just quoted uh, or, or just read from there earlier, but this one's a helpful passage to look at. Second Corinthians seven. Notice the transition that Paul makes here from having no rest to being full of joy. That sounds like the greatest joy he's ever had. Look at verse five. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by His coming, but also by the comfort with which He was comforted in you as He reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for Me, so that I rejoiced even more or even greater. So Paul goes from verse 5 my flesh had no rest. Have you ever been there where something's just distressing you so badly that you can't even get any rest at night? He went from that to the very end. I had even greater joy than I had before. I and mean, what was the difference? What was the difference in verses 6 and 7? Right, so the ultimate reason is at the beginning of verse 
6, God comforted us. God was the one who comforted me. But you know how He did it? Through the sending of Titus. That was encouraging to me. But also, the report that I heard from Titus of how you were ministering to him. And so encourage your leaders. Show love to them. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine Paul in a in a distressed or a state of despair, right? I mean, of all people, we think Paul's just overflowing with joy. He's sitting in a Philippian prison and and um, and just praising God. Even in uh, what is it, Acts 16, uh, where he's in the Philippian uh, prison as well. He's um, he and Silas are are singing praises to God. The first example I was thinking of is actually from his letter to the Philippians. He's actually in a prison in Rome in that one. All right, so express your love to them. Number five, seek their counsel and gratefully accept their reproof. Will someone read Proverbs 9, 8? Because there's two types of counsel that we can receive from our leaders. One is kind of a preventative counsel, so think like teeth cleanings. We were talking about dental work a little earlier. And then the other is kind of a, a corrective counseling. So think of, you know, you, you need a cavity filled or you've got to get a crown or something. Okay, so there's two types of counseling that, that come from your leaders. And so uh, we have to be ready to accept both of them. Remember, leaders are watching for your soul. So Proverbs 9, 8. So this is talking about the corrective part of instruction. Okay, so when there's a problem and a leader comes up to you and says, listen, this, this is a problem. What does the text say in Proverbs about how we respond to that reproof? It says those who accept reproof are called a scoffer. But, but you, being wise, ought to be one who loves reproof that you're happy to accept reproof knowing that it actually leads to life. It leads to greater joy rather than a posture of defensiveness or denial. And then number six, um, believe the best about the character and decision of your church leaders. First Thessalonians 5:12 says, "Now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work." Here's what um, Wayne Mack and David Swavely say in their book: Though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Like you know, in that situation over there. They're getting all bent out of shape because of what I did, but I was—I think I, what I was doing was actually for their for their good, and I was doing something that was right, and so on. So we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. However, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, and even cynical toward others. This is especially true of church leaders. They write, many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast preacher at their Sunday meal. And again, this is just what they're writing. I'm not trying to... I, I don't know what you guys do at your Sunday meal. And and then they use labels like power trip 
and are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. But biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13.7, believes all things and hopes all things. A loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom or motives. You know, I'm not going to pretend that trusting leadership is easy. It's not. Okay, it, it requires great discipline to to be able to trust someone who may very well have uh, less knowledge than you in various areas and less experience than you in very various areas, and may be struggling with different sins than you are. And so you you can tend to be suspicious of my leadership, but. But there is a proper way to handle disagreements with with me or with any other leaders that may come along. Um, now, I just want to, to note that as far as specific sins that come up, if if I get to a place where I am living in some sort of unrepentant sin, then we'll talk about how we handle that in a couple of weeks. But what we're talking about here primarily today is about disagreements about things that aren't necessarily sinful but but they are something that that we just see differently on and our church covenant says that we ought to treat each other with some level of love and care when we do this let me read from you actually you can look in the back of your hymn book um, and see this The second-to-last paragraph reads like this. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. And then notice, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. So this is talking about a relationship with one another within the church. Now, does this only apply apply to other people sitting in the pew? No, I think this section reminds us that we ought to show brotherly love to everyone within the church, including the leaders. And um, and so we should be striving to be a beneficial part of of a healthy culture. Uh, Proverbs 25.11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples and gold and settings of silver. Alright, so those are some ways in which you can encourage uh, me and encourage other leaders that that you may have. Um, and uh, we'll talk about how to deal with specific sins as we move ahead. But now we want to talk about what do we do when we disagree. So, any questions on the first part or any comments? Yes, Bill. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's the um, that's the nature of living in a fallen world. We're gonna have we're not gonna have perfect churches, unfortunately. Um, there there's not a church that has existed. I know of one solid Orthodox church that's existed for like 175 years. That's the longest I've ever heard of a church existing. I mean, there's no churches from the first century, right? That are still existing. So we know that over time, there's going to be some 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 falling out, there's going to be some doctrinal deviation, there's going to be some pride that gets in the way and the leadership goes the wrong way. And what our job is to do is to hold our ground as long as possible. The great part about God is, you know, when those types of churches fall, when our church falls someday, that's okay. God can rise up and work somewhere else, can He? It's not about the ministry. It's not about the people. It's not about the leadership. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. And if his name will not be honored, you know, may God write Ichabod on our doors. The glory has departed. It's time to go somewhere else. We don't want to give people a false impression about what's about who God is. And so, um that that's going to happen, sadly. Bill. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, until we let you join. Yeah. All right, so what do we do when we disagree? Because what Bill brought up is actually going to be addressed here in this fourth category that we're going to look at. So we want to talk about what happens for disagreement in general. Now, some of these bigger issues we're going to save for, again, another couple of weeks when when we talk about sin and um, and doctrinal doctrinal error and so on. But we want to talk about just general disagreement, what happens when we disagree. So here are four basic categories that we can think about when we're looking at it. So look at the top left quadrant there. Issues that are clear but not serious. Okay, so for example, suppose I decided that that we ought to paint the exterior of the church purple. Well, to, to anybody who's rational, right, that's pretty clear that we shouldn't do that because that actually would not be helpful. It would it'd actually be a little bit... Um, it would stand out and it would bring about the wrong impression for who you know we're trying to be and so on but it's not really that serious okay so there there's one type of issue that we may disagree with second is is below that that is and these are the least important these are the ones that we ought not to make big deals about neither serious nor clear so the brand of a photo photocopier 
or the type of paper that we use when we make the, the handout, you know, or the color of paper. You know, I'd really like to have mine on yellow or something. Uh, that's neither serious nor clear. When I say clear, I mean it's not clear from the Scriptures whether we should do this or not. Um, and if you have a disagreement on something like that, then, then you know, talk to me about it. Um, even though it may not be serious or clear to me, uh, and, and the disagreement is there, we can still talk about it. We're just not going to do it in a forceful or disruptive way that's going to, to lead to harm to the church. The third one is uh, the top right, both serious, uh, I'm sorry, bottom right, serious but not clear. I think that's the one I have next. Yeah, serious but not clear. So who should the congregation recognize as a deacon or you know, whether we should transfer money to a bond fund like we talked about. You know, the, these are serious matters, but as far as the Scriptures say, we, we can't really know for sure if, it, if, it, if it's God's desire for us to do this. And so we, we look at all the options and we make a choice and, um, and we have to recognize that, that there are going to be times when we disagree. Now, that doesn't mean that these... Um, decisions we just have to just agree with and so on. But how do we disagree when when something is is uh, serious but not clear? Um, here are a few suggestions. First, um, recognize that you have an important role to play. Remember, we are a congregationally ruled church and we think that's biblical. Um so we're a congregationally ruled church. That means that you make the final choice when it comes to matters of faith and practice. So and give me information when we go about to make these decisions. That can be a very helpful thing for um, for making these decisions. Second, if you disagree with the decision that I've made, um, then sit down and talk with me. I'm willing to do this. I believe that my highest duty is, is the spiritual care of your souls. And if this is going to be something that leads to your... Uh, resentment or your um, spiritual um, uh, spiritual abandonment or something, I want to avoid that at all costs, and I'll be happy to talk about these things. Uh, if you still disagree after talking with me, that's okay. Um, you don't have to agree all the time, uh, but but you do have a responsibility to obey and to submit. Remember back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Uh, you know, there will be times when you come and talk to me and I see the foolishness of the choice or maybe what I did was unwise and now I need to correct it. But there will be other times when I say, you know what, I have a lot more information than you do about this or I see it differently based on my uh, understanding of the Scriptures or my understanding of the situation and I just think this is the way it's going to be. And so then you have a responsibility to, to do something. You can either contribute to the unity of the church by doing what Hebrews 13:17 says, or you can promote disunity and disharmony um, by, by making this a big deal. Third, be careful about how you discuss this with others. Here's the tendency. When we do disagree, maybe we've had time to talk about it. Now, let me go gather uh, you know, some people that will support me on this issue. We talked about this last week when we're dealing with conflict and disagreements with other people. But be very guarded in how you talk to other people about it. Don't go around lobbying support. That does not promote unity 
in our church. Finally, when others attempt to deride leadership in conversations with you, um, just just encourage them to go to the source of their problem. You know, I, I'm not a solution to your problem, so you need to go to the source of your problem. Help people to see properly how to handle conflict. You know, I think one of our biggest problems in life in general is that we don't handle conflict in a biblical way. And if we just simply handle the conflict the where the way the Scriptures teach us to go to the person, then a lot of our conflicts would be eliminated just by doing that, just by talking about it. All right, then the last one, issues of discipline and doctrine, matters that are both serious and clear. So there are going to be times when I make choices potentially that that you see as serious and clear with regard to discipline or doctrine. Now, hopefully I don't you know, lead you away from the truth of Scripture, but... But if I do, you have a responsibility to act, don't you? You don't just simply, you know, like the example that Bill's giving, you don't just simply say, well, I don't really understand all the issues, so I'll just let the leadership do it. You have a responsibility. Remember Galatians 1. If anyone preaches to you another gospel, 2 Timothy 3.15, the church is the pillar and support of truth. The letters that Paul wrote were written to whom primarily? Individuals. Occasionally, Timothy, Titus, and so on, Philemon, but mostly to whom? Congregations, right? So you watch out for these people. You guard the truth. You you keep and uphold the faith. All right. And so there will be times when leaders will lead you away from the truth, and you have a responsibility to act. Now, obviously, you need to make sure you understand the issue and and address it properly. Uh, so, a couple things to think about. How can we do this in a God-honoring way? First, stay away from secret campaigning and canvassing. Okay, again, trying to lobby support in order to get more people on your side, and, and that way then, then you can win. The goal is not necessarily to win, but to do the right thing in a God-honoring way. Second, if there's an issue in this category where where I or other leaders are advocating a clearly unbiblical position, this is a good time to seek godly counsel from other church leaders. So, so again, you know, seek godly counsel. But if for for some reason I'm leading you away from the scriptures, then you need to seek godly counsel from other church leaders and find out what you ought to do in this situation. I've heard of a number of churches who have done that when their pastor has gotten into a compromising situation, and the church wants to give him the benefit of the doubt but they don't know how to handle the situation. And I think it's wise to go and find out from other church leaders or people who know the Scriptures well and find out what what ought to be done. Third, guard the name of Christ. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, stories or examples of churches that have gone to the media in order to, to get pressure on the pastor or the leaders of the church. But But I can tell you that that is very much unbiblical. Okay, Paul said, handle your conflict in the church. Don't go outside to unbelievers in order to try to get your conflict resolved. Handle it in the church. Because what we're doing is we're just going out there and we're saying that, you know, disunity is, is, who, is what Christ is all about. And so we don't want to, to lie about what's going on in the church. You know, someone asks us or something. But, but guard very carefully the reputation of Christ. Don't, don't take any word or action um, that that would defame the name of Christ in the eyes of the world. 
and uh, so guard it very carefully. All right, any questions on this? All right. Well, if there are, you know how to handle it, right? Come and talk to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I must say that, that I do appreciate you very much and the way that conflicts are resolved in this church. I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to lead you, and I, I do take my job very seriously, and I also uh, I have done this job with great joy. It is something that, that I look forward to doing every day, uh, you know, sometimes lots of things on the, on, on the agenda, but, but I do take joy in, in spending time with you and ministering the Word of God to you, and um, so I, I want to just conclude by saying I appreciate you all very much, and um, just pray that God's grace would continue to abound in our church as we seek to have a proper relationship. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for um, this time in which we can reflect on some truth from Your Word and and try to think about how it applies to our lives. We have seen lots of horror stories in other churches where um, things have not been handled properly, where pastors have not uh, led properly. And so we pray for Your grace because we know that that any one of us could turn in that direction. We are capable of the worst types of sin because of our sinful nature. And yet we count on Your mercy and we continue to pray for Your grace so that we would not. We want to stay faithful to You all the way till the end. Help us to do that together as we promote unity uh, in this church and magnify the name of Jesus Christ in His name. Amen.